0: We are officially smack dab in the middle of NFL free agent frenzy now. I don't think the NFL Network has trademarked that phrase. I don't think you can trademark alliteration, can you? Everybody loves a little good alliteration. God knows I do. Dan Vienz here hosting the Field Goals podcast for you today. Again, just another reminder in case you're confused. I know we had our farewell episode last month along with Brandon and Dana and I, but we've been given another month to kind of get our affairs in order, and then we'll be transitioning this show to um, just be changing the name to Seahawks Forever, and I'll be carrying forward as your primary host. And of course, I'll still be uh, dialing up Dana and Brandon to join me from time to time. But we are smack dab in the middle of it. Uh, When Dana and I talked a couple of days ago, we were on the verge of the legal tampering period, uh, opening up, and of course, Monday, Tuesday, we saw and heard lots of deals being made, including by your Seattle Seahawks in a very uncharacteristic manner, different MO than we've seen from them in the past. I'll talk about what that might mean, the effect it has on the roster, what I think of the moves, how it might affect the draft. We're going to talk about some of the weaknesses on the roster now as a result of free agency linebacker, running back, very very light rooms right now. Um, going to talk about some options still available at both those positions in free agency and the draft, some of my favorites that might be um might be in line to be chosen by the Seahawks. I'm going to talk about Jalen Carter today. This has been something that has been an ongoing debate on Twitter. Something I had some pretty strong opinions about when the news broke about his uh alleged involvement in the fatal car accident that happened the week after the national championship game, how it might affect his draft standing and and where I think he stands on the Seahawks board or potentially in their plans, if at all did a little poll about what you think of that. I'll unveil those results. We're going to talk about backup quarterback because now the backup quarterback is the quarterback. What are the Seahawks going to do about that position this year? Because right now that is an unmanned spot. I've got some thoughts there. And could they be on the verge of another surprising, maybe even qualify as a shocking personnel move in free agency? They've already surprised us this week. Could they do it again? And then I'll mock the mock again. Take a look at... uh, a two round mock draft from uh, Ryan Fowler at the Draft Network today that I think is one of the most uh one of the most complete one of the most interesting two round mocks I've seen out there. Get your thoughts on that as well and I know I've got some questions that came in on Twitter today also I will get to those. But first the news of the day. Also, keep your ear out for this. If you happen to hear this that'll be some breaking news. I will continue cuz we're live streaming this also. Um, If you're not listening to the audio version of this posted to Spotify, Apple, all the all the podcast platforms, if you're watching the live stream and uh, breaking news does come down the pike, I will certainly try to announce it. And of course, we're all kind of waiting on Bobby Wagner Um, officially as of one o'clock Pacific time today released by the L.A. Rams. He is now available. What will the Seahawks do about Bobby Wagner? Will he be back in the fold? I'll touch on that in just a little bit. But the big news this week, of course, the Seahawks with a uh undertaking a complete remodeling of their defensive line, which we we knew that was going to be an emphasis. Pete Carroll said so right after the season was over. He said, "Look, we just weren't dynamic enough up there." Specifically name-dropped a couple of the San Francisco front Uh, front four guys. Uh, Nick Bosa, obviously. uh, But Eric Armstead, too. That Just a different body type was needed up there. Guys that fit the scheme a little bit better. And so they've made some of those moves. They've released Shelby Harris, released Quentin Jefferson. To this point, haven't brought back Puna Ford. Doesn't look like they will. But instead, they go out and they get Draymond Jones from the Denver Broncos, an ascending player at just 26 years old has shown the ability to rush the passer and also looks to be improving against the run. And old friend Jaron Reed back in the fold. Um, Quite a bit of analysis available out there in the last 24 hours that he may be a better scheme fit now for what the Seahawks are doing than he was even two years ago. And if you remember, moved on two years ago because he just was unwilling to restructure his deal. The Seahawks basically wanted to tack another year onto his contract. It wouldn't have cost him any money. It just would have restructured some things. And uh, he was unwilling to do that, wanted to test the market, spend a year in Kansas City, spend a year in Green Bay. And it has been a very durable and reliable player. And remember, so much attention with Jaron Reed has been paid to the year he had 10 and a half sacks, playing alongside Frank Clark. That was never his game leading up to that point. If you recall, when Jaron Reed was drafted by the Seahawks, in the second round out of Alabama. That the book on him at that time and the reason that he dropped to the second round, in fact, John Schneider was adamant that we never thought he'd be available at that point, was that he was a run stopper only. And that the scouting report on him was that he didn't really flash a whole lot of pass rush upside. And so don't forget about that. Uh, Very, very good against the run. So the Seahawks go out, And add Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed in lieu of Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson. Still a possibility. I I think, especially with Harris, hard to see Jefferson coming back for a third time or would it be his fourth time? (laughs) But you never know. Um, Shelby Harris may be a guy that if he goes out and tests the market and wants to come back uh, at a much lower cap number, the Seahawks may be interested in great veteran leader, versatile can play inside outside on that defensive front might be some value there. And so the, the rebuild of the Seahawks front three or front five, depending on how you look at their scheme and what they're doing begins in earnest. And we've seen the Seahawks over the last 10 years, really just not get involved in tier one free agency. They did this year in a big way. In fact, there were reports yesterday that that they actually made a run at Zach Allen, who I mentioned on the show with Dana a couple of couple of days ago, as a guy that I really wanted out of Arizona. Thought he was a great scheme fit, another ascending player, a guy that could play inside, outside, a uh, rush the passer, could play the could play the run. And reportedly, the Seahawks attempted to sign him and Draymond Jones. Uh, presumably then if they had succeeded in that, Jaron Reed probably wouldn't be on board. Uh, But Allen had a lot of competition for his services. His price tag got a little high. They couldn't do both. But just the fact that they tried to says something about how they're committed to changing what's happening up front on defense. And also the fact that they don't just want to rely completely on the draft to fix the defensive line. More on that in a moment and how these moves may impact the draft for the Seahawks, especially the top of the draft. Now, what hasn't happened so far in free agency for the Seahawks? There was a significant run. Again, we touched on this on the show the other day and it just, we could see this coming. There was a run on linebackers. The list of available solid linebackers in their mid to late 20s was significant enough to think that the price would be fairly reasonable for some inside linebackers. Remember, Jordan Brooks suffered a torn ACL late last year, probably will start the season on the pup list, maybe get gets back by midseason. Cody Barton signs a one-year, $3.5 million guaranteed deal with the Washington Commanders. be interesting to see how he performs there, especially given all the fans that think that he was a terrible player last year. We'll see how he performs for Ron Rivera in Washington. And so really the Seahawks linebacker room looks like this, Jordan Brooks injured and John Radigan, the undrafted free agent out of army Seahawks did tender him as an exclusive rights free agent. Um, but he, he was coming off a major injury last year. Has he really shown us anything? Tanner Muse was not tendered. He did play well in spots after Brooks was hurt alongside Cody Barton. He could still come back. And that's it. And so the Seahawks' reluctance or or inactivity so far in regards to the linebacker market May indicate a couple of things. They may have other plans. They may be planning on addressing it in the draft. It's an interesting linebacker draft. Um, a lot of unique inside linebacker types. Not a lot of guys that really fit that traditional 3-4, just slam dunk, Will, Mike, um, no doubt scheme fits. But then there's Bobby Wagner. Uh, As I said, officially, today, as of 1 o'clock, released and able to sign with anyone. And earlier today, we did see this. Levante David, long-time, great weak side linebacker, inside linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, did sign, re-sign with Tampa Bay. It was a one-year, $7 million deal, fully guaranteed. Now, David and Wagner both entering their age 33 season. Both multiple Pro Bowl and All Pro nods. Uh, two of the best linebackers of their generation, for sure. Different players, but still. That may give us an indication of what Wagner's market is. Now, here's the thing. The Seahawks, have, as we sit here today, and Over the Caps hasn't put Jaron Reed's contract up yet. So we don't know the exact first year cap hit, two years, $10.5 million. Uh, it is what what it would max out at. So that first year cap hit could be, shoot, two, three, $4 million. We don't know. Leaves the Seahawks with somewhere between 6 and $10 million in effective cap space, which is just about what they'll need to sign their draft class. But remember, as I touched on the show the other day, they don't need to account for that money until the after the draft. So it does buy them some time. They could spend all of that this week if they wanted to and have zero dollars in cap space showing on the books a week from now and make a bunch of moves between now and the time they have to sign their draft picks to do that. You can restructure contracts. Um, And we've talked about some of the, some of the obvious candidates to do that. Uchenna Nwosu, they redid his deal. We're going to talk about some other options in, in relation to a potential move. Uh, A little bit later. So linebackers still available. There are some interesting ones in free agency. The Seahawks could turn to Um, one last thought on Bobby. and, And I did touch on it in the last show. It does feel inevitable that he would come back to Seattle, but that $7 million number that Levante David got guaranteed one year, $7 million. I don't think the Seahawks could or would do that again. As I just pointed out, they could from a bookkeeping standpoint, but to do anything else, they would have to sign or uh, make some other moves. But you could <laughs> say hello to Butch, everybody. Uh, sometimes I think he just gets a little jealous and I'm not paying attention to him and just has to create some ruckus in the background. Let's hope it just uh, stops there. Um, They could do a two- or three-year deal with Bobby that would give him that $7 million average annual value, but they could front load it add a void year, do one of those. Um, But it'll be interesting to see if the Seahawks are willing to go that far with Bobby. And again, um, you know what? Let's, let's just check in. Let's just check in and see uh, if there's anything going on at this point. Uh, Don't see it. Don't see it at the moment. Um, Okay. So, Back to linebackers. These are some of the names still available that would fit, make some sense. Drew Tranquil from the Chargers. Quan Alexander, still just 29 years old. Hard to believe, right? Devin Bush, Jalen Smith, who's really bounced back. uh, The one-time kind of ascending player for the Dallas Cowboys after they drafted him with a severe knee injury, but uh, was able to piece together a pretty decent career. Played pretty well for the New York Giants last year. Uh, Rashawn Evans, 22nd overall pick in 2018, played 98% of the snaps for the Falcons last year, still an unrestricted free agent. Just a couple of names. There are others as well. And then we look to the draft, and and we'll get deeper into this over the next month or so, depending on what they do at the linebacker position with Bobby or anybody else over the next week or so. Probably devote an entire episode um, really to each position group, but certainly to the linebackers. Names like Trenton Simpson, Drew Sanders, Jack Campbell, Dan Henley—you've heard me talk a lot about those two guys. Noah Sewell out of uh, Oregon—they had their pro day today. Owen Papo out of Auburn. Uh, Dorian Williams from Tulane. And one of my favorite late-round linebackers didn't go to the combine, didn't go to the Senior Bowl, isn't getting any buzz, but just—he looks like the second coming of Logan Wilson to me—is a guy named Bumper Pool. And his name—I'm sorry, like how do you how do you not find a way to get that guy? on your roster, but a guy that I like later in the draft for sure. Um, Now the effect on the running back room for the Seahawks has also been significant to this point. Rashad Penny signs with the Eagles one year max of $2.1 million. He made five ish million guaranteed for the Seahawks last year, end of the year on the injured reserve list after that broken leg, And Travis Homer, this one surprised me, goes to Chicago on a two-year deal that can max out at $4.5 million. The Seahawks really valued Homer for his special teams ability and his ability um, as a pass blocker, picking up blitzes, working as a third down back, his ability to catch the ball out of the field, out of the backfield. To me, this is a simple case of resource allocation, And similar to the linebackers, there is a massive list of solid free agent running backs, some of them still in their prime. We know how the value of running backs has diminished to the point that franchise tagging an elite running back now like Josh Jacobs or Saquon Barkley Barkley only costs you $10 million a year. And guys like Austin Eckler are seeking a trade because the Chargers don't want to pay him big money. So, I think the Seahawks would have loved to give Penny another shot and maybe there were discussions, but in Penny's case, well, actually in both these cases, I I believe that I think there's a, a scenario where the Seahawks would have wanted Homer back or they would have wanted either of these guys back. But in both cases, the player may have thought there was a better opportunity elsewhere. Seeing that Kenneth Walker is the dude in Seattle for the foreseeable future. And for Penny, it may have just made sense, especially going to the Eagles behind that offensive line and operating in that offense. If he can finally avoid the injury bug, and as I said on the show the other day, this guy is not injury prone. These are not soft tissue injuries that have knocked him down. He was incredibly reliable and durable at San Diego State. It's one of the reasons the Seahawks had him so high on their board. But also we're talking about an ACL tear and a broken leg. Um, These are not pulled hamstrings. These are not soft tissue injuries. I think in both these cases, the player just saw maybe a better opportunity. Homer to go to Chicago, where they let David Montgomery walk, maybe get an opportunity there to to be a little bit um, more, uh, just have a bigger role. But as far as the Seahawks go, they may have just not wanted to commit that kind of money to either of these guys. Or they may have just been looking for a different type of back to complement Ken Walker. And here's just an idea of just this is just maybe a third of the names on the remaining running back list. Guys like Damian Harris, Devin Singletary, Daryl Henderson, Miles Sanders, Kareem Hunt, James Robinson, who maybe in his second year coming off the Achilles injury will be more explosive and a guy that that the Seahawks really liked coming out the year he was signed by the Jaguars as an undrafted free agent. And then there are three guys. That if the Seahawks do want to commit to finding that running mate for Kenneth Walker, a guy that is good on third downs also might be a little bit bigger, a little more physical inside runner. How about Alexander Madison from the Minnesota Vikings or Deonta Foreman, Carolina, big bruising inside runner. Or how about Jamal Williams, who scored 1,000 touchdowns for the Detroit Lions last year, and they're letting him walk. In fact, they signed David Montgomery away from the Bears to pair with with Swift. Uh, How about Jamal Williams? He was a guy that I advocated for the Seahawks signing last year, Uh, a guy that is really good catching the ball out of the backfield, just a great locker room guy too, which is something the Seahawks obviously um, place a great deal of emphasis on. How about Jamal Williams? Uh, And then there's this. Daniel Jeremiah says there are 12 to 13 starting running backs in this draft, and they are littered all the way from the top, Bijan Robinson, all the way through the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. So the Seahawks know they can get great value in the draft at running back. um, But also that as all these names continue to sit unsigned in the free agent market, there may be, some really good value there for them as well. Um, Okay. I want to talk about Jalen Carter. It's been a big subject today because, well, it's been a big subject for a month, but Georgia had their pro day today. And it's just another bad look for Carter. Did not go well for him today. It was a chance for him to redeem himself in the eyes of some scouts and front office executives. And it went the other way. Let's recap. And then, and then I really want to clarify my stance on this because, and I know this is how Twitter works. People don't always actually interpret what you say properly. They just get triggered and they want to put up a fight. But I want to clarify where I stand on this issue. Here's what we know so far about Jalen Carter's situation. Back in December, Todd McShay reported that some teams were worried about character concerns and that it may push him down some teams' draft boards. Teammates and coaches ran to defend him. Todd McShay took a tremendous amount of grief and criticism for saying that. It didn't help that McShay's had some personal issues in the last year or two, and people kind of piled on with that too, which was unfair. But that's kind of where the the eyebrow raising started. On the field, he showed flashes of everything that everyone had been saying about him since he arrived in Georgia a dominant front four player, scheme-proof, can play in a 3-4 or a 4-3, can play standing up, can play in the dirt. Um, Incredible strength, quickness, athleticism for a guy that size, guy that's going to push the pocket and affect the run game and the pass game. But in the college football playoffs, we saw him gassed. We saw him struggle with his conditioning. And even admitted after the semifinal game, can't rem- remember off the top of my head which bowl game that was, that he could be in better shape. Okay? And then the season ends. And first of all, we find out that during the season in the fall, four months prior, he had been issued three traffic citations for speeding nearly twice the legal limit. Okay? No big deal. Kids speed. I did. You know, I learned to drive in a 76 Cutlass Supreme that had a 350 V8 and used to love hitting highway 167 when it was not overly populated and, uh, and trying to hit hundred miles an hour. So, you know, we've all done it right. But context then on January 15th, um, a teammate and a Georgia football staffer were killed in a traffic accident and allegedly, Jalen Carter was involved, speeding at nearly 100 miles an hour, racing the other car, weaving in and out of traffic, into and out of oncoming traffic, and presumably knowing the driver of the other car, a young lady, was drunk. Surveillance video at the bar that night shows all of them leaving, shows her staggering, getting into her car. Uh, That car veered off the road, slammed into a power pole. Uh, the player, and I i don't have their names in front of me, I'm sorry. Um, the player and the staffer both died at the scene. Carter, Carter fled the scene. When questioned by police later, he lied, not once, but twice, about being there at all and what his role in the incident might have been. So this all came out at the combine. And that's when I first started to tweet that, Well, he's probably off the Seahawks draft board. And some of you came after me hard. And it was, there were some tough conversations because the angle that some of you took was, well, the Seahawks have taken troubled players before. Why wouldn't they do it again? He's that good. And some of you took the angle of, Oh, it was only two misdemeanors that he's charged with. What's the big deal? I have problems with both of those opinions. One is two people died and he was involved in the activities that led directly to their death and could have jeopardized other lives. When he had a history of it, had been caught doing it, see where I'm going with that? That to me speaks directly to character. But also... The fact that because the Seahawks have drafted troubled players before, and I'm thinking specifically of Frank Clark and Malik McDowell, that they would do it again. Well, if that's how you feel, you just haven't been paying attention. At all. Now today, George's pro day. And, and I even, I gave credit on Twitter, on the show, to Carter and the way he responded at the Combine. Uh, he, he flew back to Athens. He turned himself in. He was booked. He was released. He flew back to Indianapolis. Didn't participate in any of the Combine testing, but was on the field supporting his teammates and showed up and did team interviews. I thought, okay, you know what? This kid might have a chance to bounce back from this. Now, two weeks later, George's pro day chance for him to really shine and show, hey, I'm 6'5", I'm 305, watch this elite athleticism. Nope, showed up out of shape, unwilling to do all the tests after he had indicated he would. And according to onlookers and scouts that were there and reporters that were there, had to quit partway through the testing because he was breathing heavy, he was struggling, he was gassed, he was out of shape. And so you tell me, What's worse making mistakes or not responding appropriately to making those mistakes. We have seen 12 years of track record now of Pete Carroll talking about his philosophies and what he looks for in players. And one of them is grit. You hear about that. And specifically, how that relates to overcoming adversity. There was a time there where they loved drafting players that were coming off major injuries or that had experienced some tragedy in their life and had to overcome it. This kid is under a microscope. He has an opportunity to be a top five pick in the NFL and set himself and his family for life. And this was how he responds to it. Now I want to clarify where I stand on this. Because where a lot of you who criticized me for taking this stance um, went to was wrong. All I said when this news broke at the combine was, the Seahawks are going to take him off their draft board. And yet I got attacked with... You're condemning the kid, you're crucifying him, you're convicting him before he's had a chance in a court of law. I never said a damn thing about the kid's character. What I did say, and what I'm saying today is, there are questions, and they are legitimate questions. And I have two points about that. One, if you're willing to just sweep all that under the rug and overlook those concerns, Because he can be a dominating player if he does put it all together. Then I question your priorities. Um, But also you just haven't been paying attention. You just haven't been paying attention. John Schneider at the combine talked extensively about how the Seahawks have changed and adjusted their rating system and the way they build their board and how much weight they give to character. Not just not fucking up and being a dumbass, but flipping that on its head and and prioritizing players who go out of their way to be leaders. Captains, doing work in the community. Players who carry themselves a certain way, that walk into the room and, as John Schneider used to talk about when evaluating quarterbacks, tilt the room. The Malik McDowell mistake in 2017 set this team back years. They spent the next couple of drafts trying to make up for that mistake. They overlooked obvious red flags with McDowell because they saw what? A freak. What was he? 6'6", 315, incredible athlete, strong, long arms, could play inside and out. Looked like Michael Bennett hulked up they overlooked obvious red flags leading up to the draft. This kid was a top 20 talent, dropped to the second round because other teams didn't have him on their board. Seahawks overlooked that, took it, took him, paid for it for years. Schneider said at the Combine a couple of weeks ago that he has beat himself up for that pick and others. Um, And that they've changed the way that they look at things. And and in particular, talked about last year's draft. Look at the guys in that draft. A lot of team captains. A lot of just good dudes. Right? And guys that are committed to football, where football is so vitally important to their existence that they have a passion for it. That's my biggest concern with Jalen Carter right now is that he's not passionate enough about football to be able to behave better off the field or work harder off the field. There is a path for him to redeem himself today. And he blew it. He could have shown up today and changed people's perceptions of him. And he blew it. And again, if you're sitting there thinking, well, God, again, you're condemning this guy. What? He still has a chance to come. I sure hope he does, and you're absolutely right, and he might. This is about mitigating risk. It's about using your resources appropriately. Where the Seahawks are, and listen to this, because this is my point, where the Seahawks are right now in their development, in what they're trying to build, with a 72-year-old head coach who isn't going to do this for very long. They believe they're on the verge of being a Super Bowl contender. They have the fifth pick in the draft. This is a gift. It's a fucking gift. You think they're going to risk that pick on a player with this many red flags? I don't care how good you think he might be Or, I'll take it one step further, I don't care how good he ends up. If he drops to the 20s, I'm not looking at the draft board right now. If the Pittsburgh Steelers take him at 18 or 19 or wherever the fuck they're drafting, and he becomes an all-pro because he turns it around, I don't give a shit. I'm not taking that risk at five right now with what this team needs to add to their roster and to their locker room. That's what I'm saying. I hope the kid gets it. I hope he turns it around. But he blew a great chance today. And I don't know how many chances he's going to have between now and April. And I suspect that based on what Schneider and Carroll have done over the last five years, that it's too late. And again, if if your thought process is, Well, they've taken and and I'm not just saying you as in you, those of you who listen to this show. I've seen big name draft analysts say the exact same thing. Well, the Seahawks have taken chances on questionable characters in the past, so why wouldn't they do it again? I'm mocking Jalen Carter to him at five. That's lazy. You're just not paying attention. Look at their drafts since 2017. Corbin Smith and I were having this conversation today. He covers the team on a daily basis, knows people inside that building. Find one player from 2018, 19, 20, 21, last year that has even a hint of red flags comparable to what Jalen Carter is presenting at this moment. So I hope I've clarified that. I really want to stop talking about it. I'm just not going to do any more mock drafts with him at five. I I just don't think there's anything he could do at this point to get back in the good graces of John Schneider and Pete Carroll. So I'm going to be looking in other areas. And I think the fact that they were willing to go as far as they did in free agency to give significant money to Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed is a direct reaction to the fact that the guy that might physically, fit their roster the best at five, not a consideration anymore. And there's guys I like later in the draft, obviously, and I've talked about them before, and I'll talk about them again. Guys that are damn near, damn near as gifted physically as he is, but much, much, much uh, better at conducting themselves off the field, at least to this point. Okay. So I just want to reiterate that. I'm not saying Carter is a lost cause or a bad kid. I just believe that with what the Seahawks have at stake, they're not going to be willing to use the fifth pick on him. So what's the ripple effect of that? How is that going to affect their draft? Okay. And again, we'll get a lot more into this in the next month. But if you're looking for other options, guys that could fit that role, Keanu Benton, Keon White, Moria Jomo, Mike Morris, Mazzie Smith. Those are the five that I'm focused on right now. And Benton might be the guy that I'll call him Jalen Carter, light, similar body. And you just do yourself a favor. Go to YouTube and type um, Wisconsin versus Michigan State first three plays of the game, watch Keanu Benton, watch how he affects uh, the Spartans offensive line on the first three plays of the game. Uh, and he was just as good at the senior bowl and uh, turned a lot of heads. Um, and those other guys I mentioned, they're all very versatile. They can play a little five tech, a little three tech, some nose. Uh, Mike Morris is a guy we know they've actually met with. Um And Mazzie Smith is just an absolute beast in the middle, more of a pure nose tackle. But those are just some names to keep an eye on. Now let's talk about the draft because this is another thing where I get into daily debates with people. And look, I'm not not, uh, begrudging any of you having different opinions than I do or different outlooks on things. But I just want to explain how I look at the draft. I try to look at it not from what I want emotionally. I try to think about like, if I were John Schneider, if I were in his shoes, if I were a good GM period, I see a lot of things like this. Well, nope, can't take a running back at 20, no matter what, no matter what, had that debate with somebody today. Nope, can't do it. Can't take a receiver at 20. Don't need one. Don't need a receiver. That's terrible value there. I see a lot of that. I hear a lot of that. Um, having, having boundaries like that is what bad organizations do. It's what gets you in trouble. It's what leads to bad drafts. Go back and do yourself a favor and, and Google, uh, you can use the, uh, Pro football database is a good one. Pro football reference is always good. And look up uh historical drafts. Look at the Baltimore Ravens. Just go back and 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 watch what Ozzie Newsom had done there over the years before he retired. Every single year you watch the draft, did you catch didn't you catch yourself every time the Ravens spot come came up just going, God damn, they took a good player there. Jesus, I didn't see that coming. How does the draft always fall to them? All these other players that that other teams pass on fall right into their hands. It's because they don't pin them, they they don't paint themselves into a corner with those types of attitudes. You take the best fucking player that you can. And if it's tie or if you have two or three that are right there, sure, you lean need. But if you go into a draft saying to yourself, well, no matter what, no matter what, not taking a running back at 20, and B. John Robinson drops to 20, and you pass on him because you want to reach for a guard because you think you might need, man, you're going to regret it. Um, That being said, John Snyder has used the term best player available more this offseason so far than I've ever heard him. Um. And he's also talked specifically about how some of those mistakes that he regrets over the last five years were pushing for need. And even going back to 14, 15, trying to keep that Super Bowl roster together. He, talk, he talked about, he uses the term pushing. I know that we talk about reach a lot, but I like the term pushing more where you're trying to, you, you want so badly to use that pick on a specific area of your roster that you find ways to push guys into that spot. It's what happened with LJ Collier. I think some of you would argue that that's what happened with Rashad Penny. Um, And so what does BPA mean at the top of the draft? How would that manifest itself? And and I guess the reason I want to talk about this today is because I want I just want you to be prepared because I think the Seahawks are going to do some things throughout the draft that are going to freak you out because you've seen all the mock drafts. You've seen the 200 or so that I've done, and they're largely the same. Lots of defensive front seven, lots of defensive line and linebacker early. Sprinkle in a receiver every once in a while if the value fits. Try to get those interior offensive linemen in a range that I can target the guys I really like. And that that may be fairly realistic. That may be generally what they hope happens. But I believe more than ever that John Schneider will not push a guy or reach for a player at any one of these spots, especially five, if he doesn't believe that player is going to be a great player, regardless of how his position looks on day one. That's why I'm not going to eliminate the idea that they could go quarterback at five. If that's what they think the right thing to do is. And so what does best player available mean at the top of the draft, right? If they're sitting at five and if Jalen Carter's off their board, who are some of the names you should be focused on at five? Because there aren't many. There's not 10 or 15. By very definition, that would contradict what he's saying about not pushing guys, right? You would think that at the fifth pick, their board would be down to three or four players. If it's more than that, then probably means that they're trying harder to trade back. Here's what I think BPA would mean and how it would translate to the fifth pick. If they stay there, I think option one is one of Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson. There are reports, Daniel Jeremiah said on the NFL Network, there, there are a lot of teams around the league that actually have Wilson higher on their board than Anderson. And if you think they're crazy, just try to read everything you can get your hands on. Don't just go off of the the reports. Because Will Anderson was talked about as the first player that would have been taken in the 22 draft, try to get your hands on some other information. There are teams that feel like Wilson may have a higher ceiling. And all that matters is what Arizona thinks. There are also reports that Arizona may favor Wilson over Anderson. But regardless, if that's what you want to do, you want to stick at five, you want to take the best defensive lineman available at five, it's Wilson or Anderson. Okay? Way too high for Van Ness. Way too high for Keon White. Way too I know some of you like Kaleidja Cansey. Way too high for him although people have tried to tell me that five would be a good spot for him. So those are the two defensive line. I think the other possibility at the next tier down, if Will Levis is sitting there at five or Anthony Richardson, but I tend to believe he'll be gone in the first four picks now. I think there's a lot of evidence and a lot of reason to believe that John Schneider could be convinced that Will Levis is a guy that can be a franchise quarterback for them in the future. I think the next level down is where it gets super interesting. And I think this is where, this is, I guess, the gist of what I'm trying to get to here because I want to prepare you. I want to do you a favor. This is my gift to you as the Seahawks fan watching the draft. And we're going to watch it together. I may live stream the whole thing. I took uh, day one and two off from work and I may just put NFL Network up and, and live stream alongside it and we'll react live. If there's going to be a shock at five or... Seven, if the Raiders trade up. It's going to be one of these, I believe. Peter Skoronsky out of Northwestern. But he's a tackle, we don't need a tackle. Some scouts believe, because of his arm length, that he needs to move inside to guard and would be an elite guard worthy of going that high in the draft. Guards typically don't. Or... And here we go. Cornerback. But Dan, the Seahawks don't ever take a corner high in the draft. They just won't. Who ever said that? The Seahawks ever say that? They just haven't had an opportunity to, so we don't know. The first year that they were here, Schneider and Carroll, they did take a safety in the top 10. Or was it top 15? Uh, If that's the case, the two names you hear the most are Devin Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez. To me, hands down, it's Gonzalez. I know Witherspoon's really kind of shot up with a bullet because of his physical nature. But he hasn't run a 40 yet. I've read some scouts that say his refusal to run a 40 is because he doesn't want people to see the time. He's not fast. But he's a mauler, right? Oh, that's the Seahawks style. They like... Physical corners. He also has 31-inch arms. Zucks have never taken a corner that had sub-32-inch arms, I don't believe. Or did that change with Trey Brown? Maybe. Uh, To me, it's Gonzalez. He was far and away the most. uh, He was an athletic freak at the combine and his pro day today for Oregon. Athletic freak, he's smooth, he's a press man corner, he's tall, he's long, he fits all the Siac parameters and thresholds. If they're going to throw a curveball at us at 5 because they can't trade down and they don't like either Anderson or Wilson, I don't see that happening. I think this would most likely be in a trade down, they move down to 7 or 8. To me it's it's Gonzalez. Just getting you ready, man. Getting you ready. But they might have another option at corner too. So the the Philadelphia. Let's talk about this. This will be fun. This this episode's taken on a serious tone. Let's have some fun. Uh, Darius Slay was released by the Philadelphia Eagles today. He's still, you know, he's 32 years old. Uh, but I think most believe that he's still playing in an elite level. Well, he's going to be too expensive, right? You've seen, and Dana touched on it the other day, um, Quandre Diggs and his recruiting efforts, right? Every single big name free agent that's released, uh, he's trying to get him here. There's Frank Clark. Gosh, was he in on Shaq Griffin too? Just all these big names. And Bobby, obviously, every day he's out there tweeting things about Bobby. Is it time? Is it time? Um, Darius Slay... Quandre referred to him on Twitter just the other day as his best friend. They played together in Detroit, and then Detroit kind of sent them their separate ways. What if Slay sees an opportunity in Seattle to, to play for a defense that loves their press corners, to play opposite Tariq Woolen, to play with his best friend Quandre Diggs, and what if it could work money-wise because Diggs would be willing to redo his deal? $22 million cap hit this year. $13.5 million of that is in salary. Now, the Seahawks don't typically like to do this, but the easiest way to free cap space with an existing contract, if there's multiple years left on it, is just con- is converting all or part of that salary to bonus. And then you can spread that out. It hurts you a little bit more in later years, but the Seahawks' future cap looks good and you free up immediate cap space. What if? What if Quandre Diggs was willing to do that? And our our friend Maddie Brown, who's been on our show before, uh, co-hosts the Great Overload podcast with Griffin Sturgeon, uh, said, this isn't my lane, but I'm hearing buzz. And then uh, Darius Slay's wife tweeted some eyeball emojis. So, I mean, if that's not... Hard-hitting reporting. I don't know what it is. Here's another way the Seahawks could clear some cap space. Let's talk about Jamal Adams. It's been my belief that the Seahawks are going to give it one more year, see if he can come back from this latest injury um, because the contract gets a lot easier to move out from under in 24. But if they do a post-June 1 cut, it's not that painful this year. There'd be $9.6 million in dead money, but they would save 8.4 million. And this is one of those classic cases of if he, if they don't feel like he physically can get back to being the Jamal Adams they were hoping to get when they acquired him, then if you try and you leave him on the roster and you try to get one more year out of him, you know, you're talking 17, 18 million dollars. If he doesn't play, he doesn't contribute, he doesn't become a significant piece of your defense. Well, you're out that entire amount. So why not do a post-June 1, take the $9.6 million hit, but free up $8.4 million. Um, And here's the thing. Pete Carroll said that, you know, he's doing all the right things. You know, Adams is tweeting out or or putting on his Instagram that he's running without a limp. Um, But Carroll said they're meeting in a couple of weeks. That would indicate a... Uh, a physical coming up. And he talked, he, he he cautioned about, you know, everything looks good now as long as there's no setbacks. If Jamal Adams comes in in a couple of weeks and they don't like where he's at physically, maybe they just move on. Do a post-June one, clear that money. They tendered Ryan Neal, work out a long-term deal with him. And there's some interesting safeties in this draft as well. So just a thought. Uh, with that in mind, let's see, let's see what we got here. Let's take a live look at, uh, see if there's anything. Uh, this is not great for the audio only. Uh, I don't see anything at this point. Uh, this is a bummer. Fletcher Cox resigns with the Eagles on a one-year deal. He's somebody that I thought, um, talking to Dana the other day might make some sense. a veteran, uh, that would fit be interesting to see the money. Um, you know, the Eagles are, are really doing some things with their cap. Uh, One-year, $10 million deal. That's that's much more than I thought the Seahawks would have been willing to go. Uh, would have had to be more of a long I don't see anything about Bobby. Don't see anything about um, Slay. Um, Devin Clowney was officially released today. Um, would the Seahawks have some interest in bringing him back? Remember, he was disappointing here. As a pass rusher, but that was never really his game. Uh was known as an elite run defender with some durability issues, but I think um I think he played fairly well with Cleveland last Cleveland last year. Um, I want to talk about two more things before we get out of here. Uh briefly, because uh took a little extra time earlier on the whole Jalen Carter thing. Who's the backup quarterback this coming season? A couple of options. Obviously, if they take a guy at five that could be it. But I would think that the Seahawks would want to hedge that position before the draft. Uh, a couple of interesting names out there to keep, to keep in mind. Um, Gardner Minshew. I think y'all know my affinity for him coming out of WSU. He's played, played well with the Jaguars when he had an opportunity. Uh, looked good for Philly. Um, had the one game with three interceptions, but did some cool things when he played for Jalen hurts down the stretch last year. Uh, guy who I think fits this offense Well, wouldn't cost a lot and might want to come back to where he, he experienced his greatest success uh, as a football player in the Northwest here. Uh, he's a free agent. Blaine Gabbert is an interesting one. Um, Has kind of resurrected his reputation a little bit from first round bust to a pretty solid journeyman backup. Uh, has been with Tampa Bay for the last three years. He's an unrestricted free agent. They have Kyle Trask, and they just agreed to a deal with Baker Mayfield today, and so he's going to be available. And in 2011, when he came out, there were reports that the Seahawks had them at the top of their draft board, at least as far as quarterbacks go. He's only made $2.5 million as an average annual value uh, Average annual value the last couple of years. He might be an option. Um, I've talked about Matt Corral, the Carolina Panthers are shopping him. He's a guy I liked in the draft last year. a Third round pick last year and they missed the whole year with a foot injury. I think it was a Lisfranek or a Lisfranek um, injury. Um, 6'2", really athletic, mobile, um, really whippy, live arm, quick release. Really like the way he throws the football. And the Seahawks were connected to him in the draft last year as somebody that they liked. Um, he can be had, The report, the reports were that it won't Cost much. Can you get him for a sixth or a seventh round draft pick? I think it'd be a really interesting guy if you don't draft a quarterback high this year to bring in and, uh, and try and develop him for a year and see where you're at. And then there's one name. There's one name that remains out there. And it's Drew Locke. There were the reports midway through the season last year that the Seahawks wanted to bring back Gino and Drew. Um, A market has not developed for him, at least that we can see. Uh, Tampa Bay made some sense because Dave Canales, his quarterback coach, going there as the offensive coordinator, but they've decided to hitch their wagon to Baker Mayfield. Um, Green Bay might have a need now, someone to come in and compete with Jordan Love. Uh, Now that it appears Aaron Rodgers is headed to the Jets, don't get me started on that. It's an interesting situation because we know John Schneider has been open about the fact, and Pete too, that they like Drew Locke and they love his upside. And and man, that arm talent is uh, something to get excited about. What about just keeping the band together? And if it doesn't cost you much, just bringing him back again. Um, That the way that Geno's contract is structured, touched on this with Dana the other day, um, is conducive to maybe him being the next Geno Smith that with some continuity working in an offense after a couple of years, being in the same place, being supported, having weapons around you and a good offensive line, that maybe he's in a position in a couple of years to do what Gino just did and have a breakthrough and, and, uh eliminate some of the turnovers. Uh, so those are some of my thoughts on the, uh, quarterback room. And then, uh, one last thing I want to touch on because I tease it at the top. I call this mocking the mock, um, I like to give some feedback on mock drafts that I see out there from some of these national guys. Uh, Ryan Fowler of the draft network did one today that seems pretty, um, I don't know. Maybe you could use the word boring. Doesn't have any of those curveballs that I teased earlier that we might see. This would be, I call this the chalk draft for the Seahawks, the, the nuts and bolts, the meat and potatoes. Um, Stick and pick. He didn't have any trades involved. He goes Tyree Wilson at five. Drew Sanders out of Arkansas, really interesting linebacker at 20. He's played off the ball. He's played on ball. Um, He's a guy that can rush the passer. He can cover in space. He can take off blocks, although he can develop more at that, but you can find those moments on tape. Um, He's got good size, really athletic, can really run, uh, would be an interesting player. John Michael Schmitz, the center that so much of Seahawks Fan base want to draft out of Minnesota with their first pick in the second round. And Jack Campbell, the middle linebacker out of Iowa, uh, with their second pick in the second round. So Wilson, Sanders, Schmitz, Campbell. I mean, that's that, those are home runs. Those those basically take those those boxes that we talked about earlier in the show that need to be checked and check them and uh, freeze you up after that to really focus on some offensive things. Um, but again, by the time the draft arrives, our perceived needs are gonna be a lot different than they are today. The Seahawks are gonna continue to sign players. They're gonna re-sign some of their own. They're gonna bring back some of those, some of those lower level free agents, some of those restricted free agents. They're gonna bargain shop. There's so many players out there right now, good players that aren't gonna get big money. Uh, let's check in on um, I had a couple of questions sent in. Before we went live, uh, one of them actually was um, related to offense. If the Seahawks only take one offensive player on day one, which position should they target? And uh, in the same vein, another question coming in from uh, Cisco Kid 50 The first one was from Seahawk Nerd, by the way. With two big defensive free agent signings so far, do you think the draft focus shifts more to offense? Maybe a big edge rusher expected. Um, offense, yeah. Get, get ready for it. The Seahawks are going to take skill position players at some point. Remember this. And, and I think I talk about this every year at this time. I like to go back sometimes, at least once a year, and look at Pete Carroll's introductory press conference when he was hired by the Seahawks. Uh, and he talked about running the football. Running the football, playing good defense, special teams, all three phases. Running the football, being physical, defense, running the football. But you know what else he talked about? He likes touchdown makers, He wants guys that can score touchdowns. They thought they were acquiring that when they spent a second-round pick on D. Eskridge a couple years ago. It hasn't worked out. Uh, Can't stay healthy. hasn't produced when he was. Um, If there's value, if there's a guy they like at receiver, at any point in the draft, they'll pull the trigger on it. And I think 20 makes a lot of sense. When you look at the way the board falls, I know y'all want to take a center at 20. It's probably too soon. I know y'all want another edge or another defensive lineman, but there's a gap there at the end of the first round where a lot of those guys are going to be gone. And to take one of the day two guys at that stage is doing exactly what Schneider said he wouldn't do and pushing someone up their board. That's about where I think the receiver run is going to start. Guys like Quentin Johnston, Zay Flowers, Jackson Smith, and Jigbo, I think would be a perfect fit. So would Zay Flowers. Um, Jalen Hyatt, potentially some people have going in the first round. So I think he, th- there's a good chance you could see offense at 20. What'll be really interesting. And I know people don't want to talk about this, but if B. John Robinson were to drop to 20, things get really interesting. I think more than likely the Seahawks would be in prime position then to trade down with the team wanting to move up. I think they'd be tempted to take him because he's an elite talent and you just take good football players, right? That's what I say all the time. Um, but I think specifically as far as need goes, and again, we'll know more before the draft arrives, um, I think that would be a tough one. But receiver makes a ton of sense to me at 20. Let's see if there's any I'm missing. Um, oh, the Jalen Carter thing. Did a poll, did a little quick one-hour poll on what would you do? Uh, are you yes on Carter at five? Knowing everything we know now about a situation, no or undecided. Came back 62% No. And then split right down the middle, uh, with the other thirty eight percent between undecided and yes. That seems pretty reasonable. Um, don't see any big questions, so that that's going to do it. Kind of a long episode, lots to talk about, and um, certainly I will, I will hop back on and, um, and react to any big moves, any big free agent signings. Um, I will certainly be refreshing Twitter over and over. And over again, over the rest of today and tomorrow, um, just another reminder again about the future of the field goals podcast. Vox media is getting rid of all their podcasts, uh, for all of their, um, all of their NFL sites. And, uh, and so we're getting the ax as far as field goals go, but they're doing us a solid and allowing, um, allowing us to keep the feed. And so Brandon's got his things, thing going at, at, uh, at Seahawkers. So that, uh, that's his focus. Dana has a bunch of other things going on, as we've talked about on the show. And so we're going to rebrand this show. It's going to be called Seahawks Forever. I will be the primary host. I'll have those guys on whenever I can, uh, as well as some of the other uh, guests that you've come accustomed to, some of the guys that cover this team locally, and also all the great uh, writing staff from field goals. I'll certainly be tapping into that. You don't have to do a thing. Nothing will change as far as your concern. If you're subscribed to the show you'll get notifications, um, that, uh, that new episodes have been posted and, uh, and nothing really changes for you. So you don't have to worry if you don't subscribe, do it now so that you can find it again, uh, when it pops back up, lots, uh, lots going on the rest of this month. And then as we head into the draft, that'll become more of the focus as we get into April, start to break down some of those position groups and give you my rankings and, uh, catch up with some of the guys that cover this team and what they are hearing and what they are thinking the Seahawks might do come draft time. I am Dan Viennes. I am Seahawks forever on Twitter, hence the name of the new show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing along. Thanks for participating. Um, Yeah, we'll talk soon, especially if there's big news. Bobby Wagner today, maybe tomorrow. Who knows? Go Hawks. Talk to you soon.